Hello and welcome back to the Britain and Ireland in the Early Middle Ages podcast. This is episode 53, Kenneth McAlpin. A quick note before we begin, I've changed the podcast logo to suit the new name, so that's what looks different, if you're wondering. Welcome back to the show. We finished off last episode with the death of Oengus, the king of Pickland and the overlord of Dawiata. This led to his hegemony collapsing, with the powerful new monarch emerging in Dawiata, Aid Find, or Aid the White. Aid is significant because, in 768, he led an army into Pickland. This is the first time a Dawiata leader has led an army into Pickland in almost 100 years, so it's a really big deal. And this wasn't some minor raid, no. It resulted in battle between Dawiata and the Picts. However, as we saw a few times last episode, chroniclers don't always bother to recall the actual results of battles. This is true with this battle too. I doubt it was massively decisive, as they returned alive and with his position intact. He ruled Dawiata for another ten years, and died in 778. It also represented the revival of the Kendall Gabrain. He was the first member of the clan since the beginning of the century to really dominate Dariatan politics and project their power externally. Anyways, Ed was succeeded by his brother, Fergus. In 780, the capital of Outclub was burned down. This was either due to an accident on the part of the people inside, or an attack, in which case it likely came from Fergus. No matter what, Fergus died later that same year. Following his death, we enter a time of uncertainty across Scotland. Fergus seems to have been succeeded by Dom Corky, another member of the Kendall Gabrain, likely either Fergus or Aid's son. Even this basic fact can be brought into question as Dom Corky's rule is only recorded in the Irish annals and not on any of the king lists. No matter what, he didn't leave much of an impact and nothing of, of any note is recorded of his reign. This is surprising as he ruled for 11 years. That length of reign relies on Don Corky being able to placate his war bands and keep the other Dariatan clans pacified. Even Don Corky's uncertain rule is better than what is to come, as we basically know nothing about what was going on in Dariata till around 807. One possible reason for the lack of sources is the increasing intensity of Viking raids after 800. As you may know, monasteries were an appealing target to your average Viking. Large, undefended buildings filled with untapped wealth. Monasteries were also where history was recorded. So it's quite likely the Vikings burned, either deliberately or accidentally, what would otherwise have been our key sources. As we'll see later on in the episode, raids on monasteries have become so intense that some monasteries were literally uninhabitable and the monks, along with the chronicles and relics, had to move to safer sites. It'd be easy to lose a few books in this transition. Not to mention, the monks couldn't recall what was happening while they were on the road. Now let's talk a bit about the Picts, who ruled by asserting King Constantine at this point in time. 
Constantine seems to have been an experienced war leader and, in 789, defeated a Scot army under Connell. We don't know who Connell was, nor whether Constantine was defending or attacking Connell's army. We're pretty sure Connell was, however, a member of the Kienu Gabrain, so Don Corky could have had something to do with the battle. In 807, a civil war broke out in Dariata between two people named Connell. If that isn't confusing enough already, one of the Connells was the one who Constantine had previously defeated in 789. The civil war raged on for four years before the Connell who wasn't previously defeated by Constantine came out victorious. This Connell was succeeded in the kingship of Dariata by Domnal, the son of Constantine. Now, this is a weird turn of events. It is likely that this was a direct result of an invasion by Constantine or Domnal. Rather, it seems that Domnal was just the best candidate. His father's power and likely influence over Dariata would have played a part in that, but it was probably not the whole story. The most likely reason why Domnal was viewed as the guy for the job was that his mother may have been a Scot. What I imagined happened is that Domnal marched in and pressured the various clans into submitting to him without a fight. Anyways, Constantine declared him... Constantine himself died in 820 and was succeeded by his brother, Oengus. It's likely that Oengus and Domnal cooperated with each other, acting in practice as one large power block, at least when it came to war. This period also began to see an increasing Gaelicisation of the Picts due to the flow of ideas and likely people between Dariata and the Picts. This will become a bigger issue as the show goes on, but at this point it was probably quite minor. Donal and Oengus died in quick succession, with the latter dying in 834 and the former dying one year later. As you'd expect, this created massive instability across Scotland. The Pictish crown was claimed by Drust, another son of Constantine. However, it was, it was contested by Talokan, a noble of unknown descent. In the end, neither man seized the throne. Instead, it passed to Oengus' son, Eogonan, in 837. Meanwhile, the throne of Dariata passed to her son Aid, who allied himself with Eognan. This, this has led many historians to believe that the two related and that Aid was a dynastic sub-king of Eognan, as Domnall likely was during the life of his father. The stability these kings brought to Scotland was crushed when, in 839, both men died in battle against the Vikings somewhere in Moray. This is a massive deal! Both of the most powerful kings in Scotland died at the same time, leaving an enormous power vacuum. Dariata was able to deal with this better than the Picts, and fairly soon they were able to unify under a new warrior king, Kenneth MacAlpin. Well, that's what I'll be calling him. I'm going to use the anglicised version of names for Scottish kings, and Kenneth will come to be a king of Scotland. As for the most part, that's what they're most commonly called in modern texts. Kenneth's actual name was something like Kinane MacAlpin. It's also worth pointing out that Kenneth may have not immediately took the throne. Some sources claim that his father, Alpin, was about a year in Dariata before him. Meanwhile, things were a bit more chaotic in Pictland. An otherwise unknown figure named Ferrat seized control of part of Pictland and claimed the overkingship. He was never able to take control of the rest of Pictland and was deposed by another unknown figure known as Brood. However, Ferrat had three sons, and they weren't going to give up their claim on the overkingship that easily. Eventually, they deposed and killed Brood. Following this, they either ruled it as joint overkings, dividing Pitland among them and ruling in cooperation or in quick succession. 
no matter what, they weren't destined to rule for long. Sometime in the 840s, Kenneth deposed either the brother currently ruling or all of the brothers at once. As I said, we don't know exactly how the brothers ruled. The legendary tale of how Kenneth seized control of the throne is called the Treachery of Scone, or Scone. I guess it's just a regional thing. And paints Kenneth in an incredibly negative light. Apparently, Kenneth invited all of the Pictish nobles to a big feast and killed them all, thus creating a massive power vacuum that is seamlessly filled. However, there's literally no reason why we believe this to be the case, so it's likely just an anti-Kenneth myth. However he sees the throne, Kenneth now ruled over almost all of Scotland north of the Firth of Forth. I've posted a map of, on Twitter of Scotland in 700, so just imagine Kenneth ruling all of the land in Scotland not held by outcome of Northum- or Northumbria, including some sub- stubborn holdouts in the far north. His descendants, viewing him as the progenitor of their house, fostered the idea that he was the first ruler of Scotland. Territorial, that is true. However, he likely had no knowledge of what a Scotland was, or even, as his earlier descendants would call it, what an Alba was. The Irish annals merely call him the King of the Pits, which leads me to believe that he considered himself the King of the Pits, who also happened to be the High King of Dalriata. If you want a more modern example of this, consider how James I of England and VI of Scotland was the ruler of both kingdoms, but presided over two separate parliaments, three if you count the Irish Parliament, which was mainly dominated by immigrants and not the native Irish. He personally considered himself King of Britain, but old wounds healed slowly, and the English and the English and Scottish still didn't get along very well together. As opposed to James, Kenneth seems to have been culturally more connected to his original kingdom. Traditionally, he was he is tied to the Kenilworth brain. However, that isn't confirmed, so take it with a grain of salt. He definitely preferred speaking Gaelish to Pictish and likely helped accelerate the Gaelicisation of the Picts. The traditional view of this is an ethnic cleansing. However, this is unlikely, as there simply wouldn't have been the infrastructure to just kill everyone who spoke Pictish. Plus, why would he do that? Nationalism wasn't really a concept, and Kenneth was probably part Pict himself. It's more likely Gaelicisation was accelerated more informally, Pict nobles learning Gaelic to more freely communicate with their new king and ingratiate themselves with him. Sometime in either 848 or 849, Kenneth was forced to move the relics of St Columba from Iona inland and eventually to a new home in Ireland. Iona had become literally uninhabitable due to the degree of Viking raids. This is big because Iona was basically the most holy site in all Scotland and possibly even all of Britain. Kenneth evacuating the site is basically him conceding that he was physically unable to defend it. However, this could be more of an example of a systemic problem within the military rather than Kenneth's own failings. Troops would return to their land when not actively campaigning, meaning that the only permanent military was the king's personal retinue and the garrisons of major towns. This meant that defending Iona would have meant either finding troops willing to abandon their homes for years and possibly never return, or severely weakening his royal retinue. Basically, Kenneth would have to reinvent the wheel to functionally defend anything other than major towns. Other than Iona, Kenneth's military 
career is spotless. He's recording. He's recorded invading Northumbria no less than six times, although no dates are given. He also seized control of Northumbria's Scottish territory, burning down and seizing fortresses at Dunbar and Melrose. Meanwhile, there was an ongoing dispute between the Norwegian, or Norse, and Danish Vikings. It seems Kenneth favoured the Norse, and is only recording as having fought the Danish variety of raiders. He may have even got so far as marrying off various members of his family to powerful Norse warlords. It's certain that this took place at least once, but it's unlikely Kenneth made much of a habit of this. No matter what, it likely did help protect his coastal frontiers from Viking attack, allowing him to focus on the aforementioned conflicts with Northumbria. Kenneth died in 858 at his palace of Forteviot and was succeeded by his brother, Donald. Surprisingly, no rebellion seems to have broken out following Kenneth's death. At least, if there was one, Donald put it down swiftly and without much effort. Donald is notable for having, and I quote, made the rights and laws of the kingdom, which were known as the laws of Eid, son of Eochade, at Forteviot. This claim likely shows Donald promulgating an earlier Dariatan law code throughout Pickland, trying to mesh the two kingdoms' legal systems together. Donald only ruled for four years and died on the 14th of April, 862, a surprisingly specific day for such a misty period of time. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please remember to leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the show. Please also follow me on Twitter, where I'm at BritishPod, and join the community Discord server. As always, I'll link both of those in this episode's description. I will also leave a link to my Patreon, where you can make a monthly donation to me by books and other equipment to help produce the show. You can also make a one-off donation to the show via PayPal. That will also be linked in the description. A big thank you to all my Patreon supporters, especially my $5 old woman tier patron Emily Frias, and my two tendril duke slash duchess tip patrons, Anita Gardoni and Stephen Wynish. You all really helped me make the show. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye.